So this last message in our Good News series is getting practical. How do we get practical with the good news, or as this title suggests, how do we make disciples? Uh, This is going to be our last message in the Good News series. Next week, we're going to come back to our Gospel of John series, which we were on earlier this year, you might recall. And um, we're going to get back to that. We didn't finish the book, and we're going to go through more of the Gospel of John over the summer. So Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, these verses are often called the Great Commission and so important for every one of us who are followers of Jesus to understand these crucial verses uh, for the Christian life. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. Many of us have followed the news of this Ocean Gate Titan submarine this week and the tragedy that unfolded for those who were on board. Uh, to, to think of going down into the depths of the ocean to explore the Titanic or anywhere at that depth. The Titanic is two miles under the surface of the ocean and the pressure, the water pressure at, depth, at that depth is 6,500 PSI. It's an impossible, dangerous mission as we found out this week. And I wonder if we see this mission, this great commission in the same way. When Jesus gives these 11 disciples the task of making more disciples of all nations. Back before there was internet and uh, computers and electronics and all of the things we might use today to make this task possible, these 11 men who were full of fear and doubting as we see here in this passage were tasked with a, a mission that we could say was impossible. And yet, look at us here today. We are evidence that God has not only called his apostles to this mission, but that he gave them success in it. And the challenge for us today is to realize that we now have been given the same task. And how do we know that? It's so clear here. This is one of the crucial things in the Great Commission. The 11 are tasked with this mission of going and making disciples of all nations. And you say, well, so, so that's their task. It's not our task. But no, notice what he says to them teach them, all of these disciples that they would make of all nations, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what had he just commanded them? The Great Commission. Which means that the Great Commission wasn't just for the 11 disciples, it's for all of us who now say that we follow Jesus. The Great Commission has become our commission. And so now we are faced with the task that for many of us, if you're like me, feels impossible. How, how do, in, in our day and age, how do I open my mouth and tell my neighbors, my classmates, my co-workers, my relatives about Jesus? How do I do that in a time when Christianity is looked at as a kind of bigoted religion, when we are thought to be out of touch, when people think our beliefs are so unscientific? How do we do this And if you're like me, you feel the weight of this. You feel 
the pressure. You feel like this is impossible. And I want us to see today that by God's grace, we can overcome these pressures. We can follow and obey what Jesus has tasked us with. What are some of these pressures that keep us from sharing Christ with others? There's a lot of pressures uh, that, uh, that push upon us. Lies, fear, lack of love. Many of us have believed the lie that Satan has uh, whispered in our ears that it's not for us to share our faith. We find in Scripture that some actually have been given a kind of gift of evangelism, of being an evangelist. And we convince ourselves, and I'm sure Satan helps us with this, that that's not me, that I don't have that gift. And so therefore, it's their job to be the ones that open their mouth and tell people about Jesus. It's not my job. But we have actually just seen that that's, that's not true. It is our job. There's other lies that we believe. Well, what if, what if I lose my friends? What if I lose my job? There's fears that hold us back. And ultimately, I would argue, there is a lack of love. Do we really love God who has given us this mission, who has told us how much he loves the world, who has shown us that love by giving his one and only son to die for the world, now calls us into his family, says, join me in my mission. And yet the reality is that we lack love for God and we lack love for people who desperately, desperately need salvation. Sometimes we sing songs that talk about uh, us having God's eyes. Give me, give me your eyes to see the way you see. And so as we go to our place of work, as we go to our schools and our neighborhoods, and as we see the people around us who so many of them are facing an eternity without God, who don't know Jesus, who don't have their sins forgiven, and yet do we see them with love, with a concern, a deep concern for their souls. These are the pressures that keep us from obeying Christ and following him into this mission of making disciples. And so we begin by asking this question, how do we overcome the pressures that keep us from sharing Christ with others? And you'll like this Sunday school answer because the answer is just simply Christ. It's him. It's seeing him, it's knowing him, it's understanding him, it's, it's obeying him that enables us to overcome the pressures that we face when it comes to evangelism. We can actually see that here. Here Jesus at the end of Matthew 28 is making yet another appearance and he made several appearances to his followers and even to those who weren't his followers, some saw him. And so listen to what it says again. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And then they see him, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Don't you love that? When they saw him, they worshipped him. This is the platform from which we can obey Christ and serve Christ and follow him into his mission of evangelism, it starts right here on this platform of worship, that when we see him for who he really is, when we understand him, notice how Jesus goes on and speaks of himself and of the task. Verse 18, he comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do we come to church with that sense? 
that the Jesus that we sing about and the Jesus that we talk about is King of kings, Lord of lords, that he is over everything, that he has created everything, that he sustains everything, that he's the one who keeps air in my lungs, he keeps my heart beating, he keeps me alive. It is him. Everything is for him and to him and through him, Scripture says. Everything is about Jesus Christ. So we come and we share communion, and I appreciated Adam's help as we reflected on Jesus and what he's done for us. And why do we do that? Why do we come back to Jesus again and again? Why do we come back to the cross again and again? It's because as we see him for who he is, as we contemplate what he's done for us, our heart is transformed. And the lies and the fears and and the lack of love melts away because now we are beginning to see Jesus for who he is. We need to be worshipers of Christ. But then the obvious thing we see here in this passage is that we need to be followers of Christ. We see here that this whole story is about, as it says in verse 16, it's about the 11 disciples and what Jesus says to the disciples and what he instructs the disciples. This whole thing is about being disciples of Jesus. If you want to make disciples, you first have to be a disciple. And did you notice what it said in verse 16 right after it said that they worshipped him? Don't skip over this part. This is the part that encourages me. When they saw him, sorry, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some of the 11 who had spent three and a half years being trained by Jesus, who had seen all the miracles, who'd heard all the teaching in person, now seeing him raised to life from the dead, still doubting. Now I can see myself in the story. And see, this is why we follow Jesus. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why we come to the cross. We don't come to the cross because, boy... Jesus is so lucky to have me as a disciple. How clever I am, how gifted I am. We come to Jesus because we are fallen, sinful, broken people, and we need a Savior, and we need to be transformed. And I'm so comforted by the fact that in spite of my weaknesses and my failings and my fears and when I believe lies and when I lack love and when I doubt... I still have a Christ who beckons me to follow him, to learn to trust him more deeply, to learn to obey him more fully. It's going to take me a lifetime, and that is a work that he has promised to do, the work of sanctification or transformation. We worship Christ, and we follow Christ, and as we do those two things, we overcome these immense pressures that we feel when it comes to sharing our faith with others. Amen? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when we think about evangelism, the thing that should motivate us is, my friends, my coworkers need to know Jesus. That's what they really desperately need, just like I desperately need Jesus. They need to know him. I want us to see some of the components and get a little bit more practical uh, for the rest of this message. What are the components of sharing Christ with others. Some of these are fairly obvious here in our passage. What are the components, the things that are involved with sharing Christ with others? So I'm going to give you three things. Pairs of words. First one is go and know. 
go and know. Verse 19, so clear here that we are to go, and remember, this is our commission. Don't just lay this at the disciples' feet. We are disciples now, and we're to obey everything that Christ commanded them. So now this is for us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Some have said, you could translate this as you go, or in your going, meaning that as you do life, as you get out of bed, as you leave your house, as you go to work, as you head to school, as you go, make disciples. And it's so helpful for me because it, it reminds me of this. There are some people that God calls literally to go to another part of the world in order to take the good news to that part of the world. And there are others of us who, as we go out into what God has us doing here, wherever we are, wherever we work, whatever it is we do, there is this expectation that we are still finding ourselves living in this world with purpose, with the intention that as we go out to our place of work, as we live out in our neighborhoods, that we are seeking to make disciples. Do you see here there is initiative? Not all of us are called to take the initiative to go to another part of the world, but we are all called to take initiative. And I would say we are all called, there is this expectation that we will find some way in our going to get into contact with people who need Jesus, right? I mean, a part of Christian history, of course, is uh, the monastic movement, which is what we, we know more likely as, as monks, right? Those people who, uh, in a time when the Catholic Church had become highly corrupt, people who wanted to withdraw from the corruption of the church and the corruption of the world, and so they went out and found places to live on their own in the wilderness often, away from people, in order to pursue a holy life. I get that. When you read the history and how that movement began, I understand why there was a desire to escape corruption but we need to understand this, that to truly live a holy life according to Jesus is to not live the life of a monk, but to find ways to be out there where the people are. That's just in, insinuated. It's, it's assumed here in this passage that we would be going one way or the other. Going to the mission field or going to work. Going across the street to meet your neighbor Whatever it might be, there is this going, this initiative that's required where we rub shoulders with people who desperately need Jesus. So it's a simple question, a challenging one, certainly for me, perhaps for you. How is it that you go? If the reality is that you are seeking to live a life where you come in very little contact with anyone who's not a Christian, I would challenge you to understand that you're not following Jesus because all you have to do is read the Gospels. And, and what is it that we are as Christians? We are followers of Jesus. He's the model. He's the prototype of the life that we're called to live. And what did he do? He said, well, yeah, he was a prophet or something. He was like a missionary. No, no. He, he, he is the author of our faith. He is the one who shows us how to live the Christian life. And so when we find him going out and having meals to the degree that the religious Pharisees said, that guy's a drunk. He's a glutton. Why? Why would they say that? Because always, 
constantly. He was looking to have meals with people, to get in people's faces, to get in people's homes, to be where the people were. His heart was so driven by compassion that you could not hold him back from being with the people. Now, I I know we don't all have that personality right, but don't let the devil lie to you and say, well, that's not for you. You can't do that. Brothers and sisters, we have an almighty God who infuses his divine power into us. We can find ways to meet some people and to get with the people. One of the other things about making disciples, and again, the life of Jesus is the prototype. What does it mean to make disciples? Well, let's look at the Gospels and see how Jesus did it. How did he do it? In relationships, right? There were times, of course, when Jesus was preaching to crowds, but when it really came down to making disciples, seeing converts, seeing people's lives changed, it happened through relationships. And here's where the going leads to the knowing, that we don't just go out and find ways to rub shoulders with people, but we're looking to establish relationships in which we can show the love of Christ to people, right? Hard to do that with a stranger, you can. But as we get to know people who don't yet know Jesus, as we come to find out what their struggles are, what their fears are, what's going on in their life, and through those real life realities to show them the love of Jesus, that's the means so often that God leads others to find Jesus. It's in relationship. So how do we go and know? I'm going to throw some slides up here. Godfrey, I might be stealing some of your good practical stuff that's coming up later. But here's a few things that we can, I think we can all do. Uh, we can challenge ourselves in these things. Here's the first one. You're in the checkout line. There's a human being on the other side of that counter, isn't there? Someone who's got sorrows and someone who's got worries and fears. Someone who probably needs to know Jesus. What can we do? You can smile. You can say hello. We can say, how's your day going? Has it been busy in here today? We can start there, can't we? And you never know where that, I mean, sometimes we go to the same grocery store, it's the same person every week. Strike up a conversation. Find a friendship. Uh, This is supposed to be a cafeteria, if you can see it. So many of us at work, at school, there's a place where everybody goes to have lunch. Yeah, you, you can go off and sit by yourself and check the news, or you can go and sit beside someone who's there. There's, there's a room full of people here who needs to know Jesus. Go and sit beside somebody, strike up a friendship. We can get to know our neighbors. Diane and I saw this when we lived in London, how such small acts of kindness and friendship open doors to share Jesus with our neighbors We can walk in our neighborhood. When you walk in your neighborhood, you meet people who live in the neighborhood. The same people are walking every time, and your dogs dogs are friendlier sometimes than we are. (laughs) We can be friendly. We can say, hey, what's your name? Get to know people. Something we did in Gory is got involved in kids' sports, and I coach soccer sometimes. Not a very good soccer coach, but... I can love these kids. I can get to know these kids by name. I can get to know their parents. I also played for a a few uh, meager years of of, uh, (laughs) 
my meager talent, I played ball, secular uh, softball league, better known as a beer league, yeah, I did that. Dugout filled with cigarette smoke, everyone's got a beer in their hand. Well, maybe not quite everyone, but. And through that opportunity, there were two, specifically two guys on my team who came to me and said, I gotta talk. And through those opportunities, got to share Jesus. You can volunteer. We've had guys here getting involved with the fire department in their communities. Volunteer at the library. There's all kinds of ways. Volunteer at the seniors' home. We can find ways to get involved in the community. You take your kids to the playground, sit near the other parents, get to know them, find out what's going on in their lives. These are ways that we can go and know. So what are the components of sharing our faith? That's the first one, go and know. Number two is love and pray. Two great commandments, of course. Number one, love the Lord your God. Number two, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So wonderful to read in the Gospels that when Jesus found himself face to face with crowds, that so often the text of the God, the story of the Gospel would say he had compassion, or Jesus would say out loud. It was just like a groan that came out of him that he had to speak to his disciples I have compassion on these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you're like me, you don't have this. This, this love doesn't come out of you naturally. So the first prayer that I find myself praying is, Lord, give me that love. I don't have that kind of love. Would you help me to love the people around me who need Jesus? And then as I get to, to go and to know those people, and the Lord begins to open doors of friendship, I begin to pray for those people. Pray for your neighbors. Yeah, maybe you've got a neighbor who's really hard to love, really, really a difficult neighbor, but you can begin to pray for that neighbor. Pray for opportunities. I always remember in a grade, uh, a grade 13 math class uh, where we would often, teacher would uh, give the lesson and then he'd put his feet up on his desk at the front of the class and we'd all just shoot the breeze. Uh, not, not the best class I had in high school, but an enjoyable one, I suppose. And a few weeks into the class, I realized we've talked about everything in this class, everything under the sun, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, but not Jesus. And I simply began to pray, God, would you, okay, would you open a door then for me to say something about my faith? And it was within a day or two that the conversation in this math class in Northern Ontario, where there was very little religion, somehow the conversation turned to kosher foods. I had no idea what that was. But the teacher thought he'd, he'd heard that I was religious, so he says, Gary, you must know about kosher foods. Why don't you tell us about it? Now, if that's not an answer to the prayer, Lord, would you open a door for me to share something about my faith? Of course, the second part of the prayer was, God, would you, would you please help me because I'm going to be so scared. Would you give me boldness? You know what? The Lord answers that prayer too. Love. Pray for, for love for your neighbors. Pray for your neighbors to come and, and, and have their hearts open. Pray for opportunities to share your faith. And then finally this, show Show and tell. During this series, I've talked about those, those two things, how we want to display the good news and how we want to declare the good news. Through much of history, it's certainly in North American history in the last hundred years, churches have fallen off on one side or the other. 
Liberal churches have said, we're just going to do the social gospel. We're just going to show kindness to people. We're not going to preach at people. We're not going to say anything about, uh, about the Bible. Other churches have said, not here. We preach here. We don't do any of that kindness stuff here. We just tell people. We just preach. And of course, suddenly, in either, in either case, we have stopped following Jesus. Because in his life and ministry, he did that, didn't he? Constantly. Show and tell. Feed and preach. Heal and love and tell people the good news. This was the life and ministry of Jesus. He's our model. He's our prototype. What should we do? We should do the very same thing. Show and tell. So we had new neighbors when we lived in, in London a number of years ago. And the new neighbors that were moving in beside us were... Um, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist folks. First thing they did, they, they mounted a, a shelf outside of their front door, and we noticed right away, and, and on that shelf were these various fruits, like I think they were plastic, various fruits were left on that shelf, and of course that was uh, an aspect of their faith and their religion, it was, a, it was an offering to, to the Buddha. The day they moved in, Diane made a salad. She would say, well, it wasn't, you know, it was a pasta salad, I think it was, and uh, but she took it over and said hello and met the neighbors. And for the next year or more, it was a year and a half, I think, until we moved up to Gori, and he never stopped talking about that salad. <laughs> and when our for sale sign went up in our front yard, he came over with tears in his eyes, and he mentioned the salad. <laughs> and in the meantime, when his son was going through some health issues and he was going through some emotional health issues, Diane's kindness opened a door for me to go into his house and sit under his Buddha and tell him about Jesus. Show and tell. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can, because we have Christ. Not only did he say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said that right before the commission, and then right after the commission, what did he say? Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Never say I can't unless you're ready to say he can. Me, by myself, I can't, but with Jesus, all things are possible. Show and tell. So maybe you're a person, you are terrified to open your mouth and say anything about Jesus. Okay, we'll start here. Show some kindness. Make the salad. Walk across the street. Help your neighbor, neighbor shovel the driveway. Mow the grass. Find some way to show kindness. And ultimately, we look for opportunities through that kindness to speak. Um, I want to show you this picture here. This is one of the most important things I've learned about sharing our faith. Now we're talking about telling someone the good news. And that is this, that when I meet someone and look for an opportunity or find myself in an opportunity to share my faith, what I'm looking for is the on-ramp, right? Everybody has an on-ramp. Everybody has certain concerns or fears or worries, hobby horses, pastimes, passions. And if you go and look at the way Jesus interacted with people and the way he or the Apostle Paul the ways that they found to introduce Jesus to people, they were masters 
at finding the on-ramp. Everybody has an on-ramp. Now, for our neighbor that I just mentioned about, this Buddhist man in London, the on-ramp for him was his pain, his suffering. His son was uh, struggling with autism, and there was all kinds of pressures and challenges that he found as a parent, and, which led to his struggle with depression. His pain, his suffering, was an on-ramp in which I could come into, come alongside him in his life to talk about Jesus. For other people, it's, it's their passions. I mean, someone who's even, did you realize, someone who's like an environmentalist, and all their, their greatest concern is, I've got to save the planet. That's an on-ramp. Did you realize that? A lot of Christians would say, well, that's, what is that? It's an on-ramp. Because when God created the world, he gave us, he gave human beings the job of caring for the planet. And in the end, when he redeems everything, what's he going to do? He's going to restore the planet. It's an on-ramp. Uh, Think of some of the ways that Jesus found people's on-ramp. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Now this one's a little bit strange. I I don't recommend this for for you first off. What was the on-ramp? that Jesus used with the woman. Well, one of them was was her pain. Very, very personal pain. Bring your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you've had five. And I don't personally think that we should look that as Jesus uh, putting his finger on, on her sin as much as it might be that Jesus was putting his finger on her pain because probably she couldn't have kids and so probably she was cast aside from one husband to the next. It was an on-ramp. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke to Jewish people, what was the on-ramp? The Old Testament scriptures. Then he comes in Acts chapter 17 to to uh, to the Greeks who had all kinds of gods and all kinds of spirituality. What was the on ramp? Spirituality. Find people's on ramps. We're not always going to get this right, but when you love people, if you say the wrong thing to someone that knows you love them, you'll get another chance. Be bold. What is it that people need to know as we tell them about Jesus? They need to know about his Jesus, they need to know about Jesus. And they need to know about his plan of salvation. They need to know the truth of Christianity. And by the way, if you, if you want to chat with me more about what we didn't really have time for last week in terms of defending the faith and how do we answer hard questions, uh, please reach out. And then they need to know the urgency of believing. This is the challenge for us. And I know for myself, uh, looking to love people and find ways to interact with people in loving ways, sometimes we lack this we miss out on sharing the urgency of believing. But here's, but here's a point that people need to know. They have a desperate need in their soul to have their sins forgiven and to find their way back to God. This is what people need to know. Brothers and sisters, we want to be a church that's all for Christ, which means, first, that we have surrendered all for Christ, that we are his worshipers, that we do what he says, and that even in our weakness, we follow him for our transformation so that we can reach all for Christ. May it be so. Through this church, may more and more people come to know Jesus. Let's sing a final song, and then we'll pray. that you would 
show them, help them to see, Lord, the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done. And I pray they might hear you calling their name, that they might come to the cross today. Lord, for the rest of us who know you, who are followers of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you might give us the strength to, to repent if we have not seen this great task of sharing our faith and taking the good news to the nations, if we've dismissed it as someone else's job, if we've just flat out refused to participate, Lord, we, we repent of that. We know, Lord, with you there's forgiveness, and I pray that you'd turn our hearts, Lord, now to see the world around us the way you see it and to give us hearts to believe that you can use us to make a difference. Lord, for everyone in this room who's your follower, I pray, Lord, that even right now you would put on our heart and mind someone in our lives who needs to know you, who needs salvation. Open our hearts and minds to see these people, to pray for these people, Lord. Give us courage, Lord, to show and tell, to make sacrifices, to show kindness, to be generous so that people can taste and see that you are good. And Lord, as you open those doors, that we would boldly walk through them and say the words of the good news. Would you help us, Lord? I pray that in the weeks to come, we would see many baptisms, many people coming to faith because we trusted you, Lord, to enable us to do this great task. So would you be with us? Would you help us in all of this, Lord? so that the world would know you and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.